Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. Septuagesima, Matthew 20, 1-16. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, God's Word reveals everything necessary for our salvation. It opens the very secrets of God's heart. It reveals what God thought and decided upon before the foundation of the world and what He wishes to do for us in eternity. But what do most do? Not only do countless thousands reject the divine revelation as foolishness, but even many of those who know and accept the word as God's word are not satisfied with what is revealed in it. Many want to ponder what God in his great wisdom has permitted to remain hidden from human eyes. So, for example, many have wanted to fathom how it is possible that against God's will, sin, death, and misery have entered the world. Others, how it is possible that God knows in advance all thoughts, ways, and works of man, and yet man should not be forced to do them. Others, why God gives one person so many opportunities for conversion and another so few. Why he pursues one so long with long-suffering and patience, and in the end allows him to find grace in his last hour, while he lets another be snatched away quickly in his sins and be lost. Still others, why God has created also those whom he knows will be eternally lost. And still others, why the merciful God, with whom there is no respect of persons, gives his word to some nations so richly and so long, while he has let others sit for thousands of years at a time in darkness and in the shadow of death. Oh, folly upon folly! Is it such a wonder that for us weak, short-sighted men, there are in God's essence, works, ways, and judgments a thousand things that are inexplicable and unfathomable? We would have to be like God in wisdom and knowledge to understand everything. We must say with St. Paul, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments! How inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Romans 11. Miserable is he who does not speak thus with St. Paul, but wants to fathom God's mysterious counsel. As he who looks constantly into the sun becomes blind, 
so must the spiritual eyes of him who wants to look into the depths of God's heart become blind. He must either err completely with respect to God and his word or fall into all kinds of dangerous error. In today's gospel, we will be introduced to a teaching that contains impenetrable mysteries. Many to their soul's harm have tried to fathom them, but they have only erred. It is the doctrine of the election of grace, or predestination. Permit me to show you today the correct way in which alone we shall be preserved from every error in considering this comforting doctrine. To accomplish this, we beg the assistance of him in whose light alone we shall see light by silently and piously praying the Lord's Prayer. Our text, Matthew 20, 1-16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired in the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you, and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. The word of the Lord. Many are called, but few are chosen. With these words, the Lord himself gives us a key to the parable in our reading today. We see from those words that the parable contains information as to what election to salvation really is. Permit me to answer the question, to what must we hold fast if we do not want to deviate in any way in the doctrine of election? I answer, we must hold fast to this, that according to the Holy Scripture, whoever is lost is not destined to hell by God, but is lost by his own fault, and whoever is saved is not saved by some sort of merit on his part, but alone out of pure grace. My friends, everything that God does in time are realizations of decrees that he has made already in eternity. God does nothing in time that he has not decided to do in eternity. The eternal destiny of man is therefore not decided in time, but has already been decided upon before the foundation of the world. God, for example, 
not only knows exactly the number of those who will be saved or lost, but he is also from eternity elected a part of mankind to salvation. In comparison with the lost, the elect are only a few. All these are truths that are so clearly taught in Holy Scripture that no one who believes in the Bible can deny them. The Lord says in our text, many are called, but few are chosen. Acts 13.48 says expressly, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. All who still consider God's word the truth are agreed that there is an eternal election. Moreover, that God did not elect all men. Yes, in comparison with the damned, he from eternity elected only a few to salvation. Yet there are many who, misled by the deductions of their reason, have erred in the article of election. There's a large denomination that makes the following deductions. Since God has not elected all men to salvation, he must necessarily have destined the rest to damnation. God must not even want to save all men. If God had wanted to, who could have hindered him? Who can oppose his will? Furthermore, they say, by nature, all men are lost, dead in sin, and opposed to God's Holy Spirit. God must therefore work all good, repentance, faith, and sanctification in them, the beginning and the end, the wanting and the completion, the conversion and preservation till the end. If a person is not converted, or if he does not remain in the faith, God must not have wanted to take his opposition away, or give him faith, or keep him in it. Hence, God must not have wanted to save him, but must have destined him even from eternity to eternal damnation. Finally, they also conclude, in the Holy Scriptures, we read that God hardens whom he wants, that he actually has hardened Pharaoh. Hence, God must not have wanted the conversion and salvation of such men. Is this the true doctrine of election? Far be it! We see what fearful, comfortless, and blasphemous conclusions even a Christian can draw if he is not satisfied with what the Scriptures say. If he begins to draw inferences not based on God's Word, if he wants to build bridges of human reasoning over the bottomless abyss of divine decrees. But, God be praised, God's clear word shows us that all such reasoning is wrong, false, and empty. Our human reason can conclude nothing else than this. If God really wanted to save all men, they most certainly would be saved. However, since that does not take place, this must be the fault of God's will. Human reason can conclude nothing else. But what does God's word say? It hurls this reasoning down. It is shown on all pages of the Holy Bible that God has destined no man to damnation, but loved all from eternity and wanted to save all. If we read, for example, in 1 Timothy 2, 4-6, God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Moreover, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3. 
Furthermore, the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3. Yes, in order that we may not have the least doubt, God, even in the Old Testament, testified before the world with a precious, unbreakable oath with himself that not one person is shut out from his eternal love. For we read, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 33. Now I ask you, what can be clearer? Again, our reason could make no other deduction, since all men are by nature lost and must begin, continue, and complete all good in them. The cause must lie in God if a person is not converted or does not persevere unto the end. God must not have wanted it. But what does God's word say? The Lord himself says to the inhabitants of Jerusalem when they were not converted, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Matthew 23. You see, Christ wanted to convert the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But they did not want it. Although by nature all men are equally sinful, and God must first take away their opposition, no one is for that reason lost. When God comes with his word, he also comes with his Holy Spirit, who wants to remove this natural opposition. Some oppose the working of the Holy Ghost with more than natural opposition. They oppose him stubbornly and obstinately. Such... God himself cannot help, because God will force no one to be converted. A forced conversion is no conversion. Hence, God says as he does in Isaiah, Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Or, as we read in the Proverbs of Solomon chapter 1, Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Stephen did not say that the Sanhedrin would be lost forever because they were dead in sins, and by nature could not have wanted the good that by their own power could have been achieved, but he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Acts 7. Already in Hosea, the Lord says, He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Chapter 13. 
or as the original says, Israel, that you are corrupt, the fault is yours. That you be helped, that is my pure grace. I ask, what can be clearer? And finally, our reason could make no other deduction. Since the scriptures say that God hardens some, God himself must be the cause that they are not saved. But what does God's word say? It shows us that God, by a righteous judgment, punishes certain men with fearful hardening of heart. He does that only to those to whom he had vainly offered grace, who first hardened themselves against his grace, and who therefore are lost past all hope of saving. That is, for example, expressly said of Pharaoh, Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? 1 Samuel 6. Consequently, we are faithfully warned against self-hardening in God's word. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 4. I therefore ask you, what can be clearer? Hence, my friends, whenever the doctrine of election is presented as though God did not want to call all men, bring them to faith and save them, that Christ did not atone for many men, and whenever such thoughts rise in your own hearts, confidently reject them as deceitful, lying, and blasphemous reasoning. Hold fast to the word of God, which says that he has elected only a few, but at the same time shows most clearly that God does not want that any should be lost. God has destined no one to damnation. God could not elect more because he so foresaw that many would stubbornly resist his Holy Spirit. Throw aside the means of grace and let it bear no fruit in them. They did not want to believe or remain in the faith, but want to harden themselves. It is true that God had in eternity decided not to save certain men, but not because he hated them or because he did not want to save them. God rather dealt as a merchant who, because of the danger of shipwreck, throws his cargo overboard. He does this neither joyfully, nor does he consider his costly goods to be of no value. He does it reluctantly, because the storm has forced him to do that. Thus God had to decide to let many men be lost, not with joy in their death, but, if I may say so, with pain and sadness, because the obstinate impenitence of those men compelled him to do so. My dear fellow Christians, do not be so foolish and inquisitive as to try to discover whether according to the secret counsel of God you are elect or not. But ponder this. God has revealed to you in his word and in his dear son who died for you whether you are elect. You should see from this that God loves all men. Hence, God loves also you. God's Son has redeemed all men. Hence, He has redeemed also you. The Holy Spirit earnestly calls all men through the gospel into the kingdom of grace. Hence, He calls also you. In short, the triune God wants to save all men. He wants to save also you. You should accept God's word, which tells you of the counsel of God to your salvation. Believe it. Do not wantonly resist it and pray that God preserves you in the faith. If you do that, you are elect.
for Christ is the book of life. If one does not wantonly tear himself loose from Christ, nothing, nothing can erase his name from the book of life. Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10. Whoever is lost has therefore not been destined to hell by God, but is lost of his own fault. My friends, if we do not want to err completely in the doctrine of election, we must in the second place believe that according to the Holy Scriptures, whoever is saved is saved not by any merit, but purely by grace. As important as it is to believe that God does not have any hand in our damnation, so it is just as important to believe that we do not contribute a thing to our salvation. As important as it is that we do not blame God for the damnation of many, so it is just as important that we do not rob God of any honor. He saved us purely by grace, without any merit or worthiness on our part. Unfortunately, there are not a few who admit that all who are lost are lost by their own fault. Yet they suppose that God has elected some to salvation because he foresaw how repentant, how believing, how holy and faithful they would be. Whilst others ascribe evil to the holy God, they ascribe good to unholy men. Where others blame God, they ascribe merit to God, man. To forestall any misconception on this main purpose of the parable in our gospel reading today, Peter had to put the question to Christ. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? Matthew nineteen twenty-seven. Thereupon Christ not only assured Peter that they would be repaid, but he also told them in our text the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. When Christ says that they who had come to work in the last hour received the same pay as those who had borne the burden of the heat of the whole day, yes, that these finally, through their murmuring, forfeited the goodness of the Master. And when he adds, so the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. What warning did Christ wish to convey to Peter? Nothing else than this. From being the first... A person can, by his own fault, become the last and be lost. But that it is God's goodness, grace, and mercy alone, if, from the last, he is made the first. From a sinner, a saint. From a called one, elect. That a person can forfeit grace, and that he can never earn it or become worthy of it. That also the pay for his work in the vineyard of God is not earned but is a gift of the free goodness of God. You see, my friends, that the differences of error in the doctrine of election are very small. If one has avoided one extreme, the danger is one can fall into the other. If we recognize that God could not elect many to salvation because he foresaw that they would not believe, we dare not say that God has elected the others because he foresaw that they are better that they would believe and be converted. It is, of course, true that God has elected only those of whom he saw this, but that cannot be the cause of their election. Had God not decided to elect them, they never would have come to faith. Therefore, bear in mind, nothing else moved God to decide to let a great number be lost than his foreseeing of their stiff-necked opposition. 
But on the other hand, nothing else than his love in Christ and the misery of the rest of mankind moved God to save them. God did not choose the elect because he knew that they would remain in the faith, but that they are elect is the reason that they firmly believe. God did not elect them because he knew that they would be saved, but they are elect is the reason why they will be saved. In eternity, God said, saw in all men only sin, misery, and death. Consequently, God did not choose the elect because he foresaw something good in them, but because he elected them is the reason why they became Christians. The free, gracious election of God, therefore, not only precedes the salvation of the elect, but is also the cause of the salvation of the elect, its eternal, immovable foundation. The 11th article of the Formula of Concord presents this most clearly. God's eternal election does not just foresee and foreknow the salvation of the elect. From God's gracious will and pleasure in Christ Jesus, election is a cause that gains, works, helps, and promotes our salvation and what belongs to it. Our salvation is so founded on it that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Therefore, it is false and wrong when it is taught that not only God's mercy and Christ's most holy merit, but also something in us is a cause of God's election, on account of which God has chosen us to eternal life. Now, you who want to remain in your sins and do not really want to be converted to Christ— you dare not suppose that you can excuse yourselves by claiming that God has begrudged you the grace of conversion and salvation. No, God gladly wants to save you, if only you permit yourselves to be saved. Christ says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, John 6. This word applies also to you. Only recognize your misery and go to Christ. He will not reject you. Then you can joyfully and triumphantly confess, God has from eternity elected also me to salvation. If you do not want this, don't accuse God, but proclaim your own woe upon yourselves. Then Christ says also to you, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. God has chosen the elect to not only salvation, but also to repentance and sanctification. St. Paul pictures that golden, unbreakable chain of salvation by saying, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8. Whoever, therefore, does not let himself be conformed to the image of God's Son, let him not be surprised that also the other links in the chain of salvation and election do not concern him. But rejoice, you who already stand in the faith, who have power to hate sin, who have fled like chicks under the wings of God, who can say from your heart, Farewell, false world, with your glory. I cling to Jesus, who is my treasure, my wealth, my hope, and my salvation even if you have much trouble in connection with your faith, trouble within and without, even if you still feel yourselves very weak and frail, even if you must wrestle with much sin in your depraved heart, even if you feel nothing but misery in your heart because you belong to Christ, 
you thereby have a witness that you belong to the elect. What God carries out in you in time is a mirror of the decree that he made in regard to you in eternity. Be happy and be comforted and delight yourselves in the crown of righteousness, which is even now reserved for you in heaven. But first of all, guard yourselves against ascribing your salvation to yourself. Do not think that God has elected you because he saw something good in you. No, you did not elect God, but he elected you. You did not seek him, but he sought you. He saw nothing in you but sin, misery, and death. But when he saw you lying in death, he was moved to compassion over you and said, You shall live. You could not help along in the least with your conversion. It was no work of your free will because you had no free will. You were dead in sins. Your conversion is altogether God's work. You could not prepare yourself to receive grace because before his grace came upon you, you could do nothing but sin. You could not take the offered grace yourself. God first had to give you the hand of faith. God had to create the beginning and the perseverance. He alone can also finish this blessed work. So, where is your glory? There isn't any. All glory and honor belong only to him who out of unfathomable mercy has received you. It is that mercy never ending, which human wisdom far transcends, of him who loving arms extending to wretched sinners condescends, whose heart with pity still doth break, whether we seek him or forsake. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.